bank in 1973 in the city of Stockholm and starts to take prisoners. What this guy does is he essentially barricades himself inside the safe with four people that he threatens their life. You can imagine how scary this would be if you were one of them. He threatens their life, but yet at the same time, he's kind of in a weird way nice to them. As the police surround this bank, he gives them food. He like tries to take care of them. He tries to get them to like him, which I don't know what you would think. But at this point, if you were someone taken captive by some crazy dude with a gun in a bank, you probably would not like the person who was taking care of you. But as strange as it may sound, the people who got captured by this guy, they pleaded with the police, please, please, please don't hurt our captor. It's a very interesting moment where throughout six days, six whole days of being kept in there, guess what happened? Those people who got taken captive by this bank robber, instead of hating him, they grew to love him in this weird way. It's like they forgot that they were taken as hostages by this guy in, in, this, in this Swedish bank. So anyway, after six days, the police come in and they have to shoot tear gas into the safe where they had barricaded themselves for six days. They shoot in tear gas and it finally gets them all to come out. But when it's all over and it's all said and done and when they're released, guess what? Do you think the people liked the bank robber or didn't like the bank robber? They loved him. They pleaded with in court. They like stood up in court and said, please don't let this guy have a death sentence. Please. It was this weird, weird thing that led to a, a term that people use today called Stockholm syndrome. What Stockholm syndrome is, is where people fall in love in a sense with the people who take them captive. This guy did not want to do any good to the people he took captive. What he wanted was 3 million bucks. That's what he wanted. He wanted a lot of money and he wanted freedom and he wanted to escape. He did not really care about the people he captured. But for some weird reason, because in the moment, they felt like they would gain something by liking him. They started to like him. And when we stand back, I hope you say, that's really stupid. <laughs> I, I would not be that person. I would not like the person who takes me captive. But the problem is, in a spiritual sense, that is something that has taken place for some of you tonight. That someone and something has taken you captive, but the problem is some of you like it. The person and the thing that's taken you captive does not care about you. It does not want good for you. It ultimately wants bad for you, yet some of you like it. What I'm referring to, of course, is sin. I'm referring to a person is Satan. Today in John chapter 8, we're going to see Jesus talk to a group of people who are taken over by Satan and they don't even realize it. They're following Satan's every choice and every whim, yet they think they're free. They think they're good to go. And for some weird reason, they start to fall in love with the sin that they're in in the first place. And the problem is that's not just a then and there problem. It's also a here and now problem too. A lot of people who are currently living in sin, like we talked about last week, living in the darkness, actually really like the darkness. And if that's you, I want you to figure that out tonight as we read this passage. So please open your Bibles to John chapter 8 and look at verse 31. John 8, 31. Last week, we talked about how Jesus had this speech to these people. It was at the Feast of Dedications where they did all this light ceremonies and water ceremonies. It's this big saying, this big explanatory thing Jesus says where he says, I am the light of the world. We talked about that last week and what that meant. That Jesus is light in a dark world. That people are born in darkness and that darkness is sin and we like our sin. And that's the weird thing. And today we're going to see how people hang on to their sin. Instead of turning to Jesus, who's the light of the world, who can get them out of the sin, they fall in love with the sin that's taking them captive and that's going to lead to their death. Just like those people in a bank in Stockholm, Sweden. So I want us to check this out. Verse 31 so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, 
That phrase right there is so important. I, I want you to underline it if you've got one of your Bibles. If you've got one of our Bibles, I guess don't underline it. But that's so important. Jesus said this to some of the people who believed in him. That's going to be very important. Because we're going to look at this passage in what we might think is, oh, these are all the people that hate Jesus. These are the people that would never listen to Jesus. That's not the case. These are people who professed at one time to believe wholeheartedly in Jesus and his message. Okay? Maybe like people sitting in this, this auditorium, maybe like people sitting in here who have some kind of profession of faith who say, yeah, I follow Jesus. This is who Jesus is talking to. And I want you to see how this crowd changes their mind as Jesus continues to talk. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. That sounds like something Jesus would say, right? If you follow me, if you keep listening to my words, abide means to remain. If you keep listening to my words, you're truly my disciples. He's not saying how to become a disciple. He's saying, here's what my disciples do. They follow what I say. And that's what we teach all the time, right? Christians, real Christians, they obey God. They follow Jesus, okay? Trying to obey God doesn't make you a Christian, but certainly real Christians, they do that. That's what he's saying here. Verse 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they said, we're offspring of Abraham and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? It's kind of an insulting thing that Jesus says. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, if you guys listen to me, if you hear my words and you listen to them and you hold on to them, with your whole life, guess what will happen to you? You'll become free. If I told you that, if I said, hey, I've got something to offer you and, and this thing will make you free, what would you say? You'd probably step back and say, wait a minute. I'm an American, okay? I'm an American. I'm not, I'm not a slave to anybody, right? That's probably how you would feel. That's kind of how they felt too, right? They felt it for different reasons. In fact, actually, they had a lot of people who uh, they were slaves to, if you think about it, the Jews, how many people did the Jews um, serve as their slaves? They, they served a lot of people. They were under the Egyptians. They were under the Babylonians for a time. They were under the Persians. They were under the Greeks. They're currently under the Romans. So clearly they understand what Jesus is saying. He's not just talking about political freedom. He's talking about spiritual freedom. And they say, well, we're spiritually free. We follow God. No one enslaves us. They question that. They say, we're not, we're not slaves to anything. Look what Jesus says in verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. There's something hidden in that word, practices sin, that's not just if you do a sin. He doesn't say anyone who has committed a sin in the past is a slave to sin. That's not what he's saying. He says anyone who makes a practice of sin. What that means is anyone whose lifestyle is characterized by sinful behavior, sinful attitudes, sinful thoughts, Sinful words. If your life is dominated by habits and patterns of sin, he says, you right now in your seats tonight are a slave to sin. That you're not free. That you're actually a slave. And you might say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought I was free. I'm an American. I'm not enslaved to anybody like that. What are we talking about? Well, Jesus says, no, no, no. Anyone who makes a practice of sin, a habit, lifestyle of sin, they're a slave to sin. Verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I spoke of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. Interesting. So what's Jesus claiming? First of all, he's claiming that he has a relationship with God that they don't have. 
That's ultimately what they're talking about here. They're not talking about being politically free or being slaves of people in that sense. They're talking about a spiritual freedom or a spiritual slavery. And Jesus says they actually have a spiritual slavery that they don't even know about. They say, we're sons of Abraham. We belong to Abraham. We are like Abraham. That's what they're saying. That means we serve God and nobody can tell us not to do that. Well, that might only be partially true. And he says there, the slave does not remain in the house forever. They think that because they're in the house of God, in quotations, in the house of God, that they're free. That's like saying, you know, if being a slave, right? Imagine a slave a long, long time ago being in someone's house. Maybe think of a Roman slave who's a teacher or, or an artisan or something like that. Maybe a doctor. Some of these teachers and doctors were slaves of people. It doesn't sound as bad. As, it wasn't as bad as it sounds, I guess. Um, in some ways, they would... Um, be taken into a big, like, rich person's house. You know, uh, you ever watch those old movies with a bunch of servants? They're not like slaves, but they're like, uh, there's the housekeepers and the, um, the teachers and the, the personal tutor and the athletic trainer in a big house. The person, like, hires a lot of people. What it says here is if you're a slave or a servant in the house, don't think that you're the son just because you're in the house. Don't think that you have all the rights and privileges as a son just because you're experiencing some of the blessings of being in the father's house. What Jesus is saying is some of these people, right, they think because they've experienced some of the blessings of being connected with God, they think that makes us sons of God. Jesus says, no, 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 you can still be a slave of sin and enjoy some of the benefits of being connected with God's people. And the truth is that hits this audience. And I want you to know that doesn't just hit them. That also probably hits us too. Because you can be a slave of sin and you can go to church every single week. You can be a slave of sin and your parents might be Christians. You can be a slave of sin and every single person in your family might be a solid, born again, following Jesus Christian. That doesn't mean that you are. And that's what he gets at. He essentially says, just because you're son of Abraham, that doesn't make you free. Sin enslaves people, takes over. You're trapped to obey sin. I want you to write that down for point number one. Admit that you are trapped obeying sin without Jesus. Admit that you are trapped obeying sin without Jesus. If you right now don't have a relationship with Jesus of a saving faith kind, a kind which is more than these people had, because notice, what do they think of Jesus? They're thumbs up of Jesus right now. Who's he talking to? The people who say they believe in him. So he's not talking to the enemies. He's not talking to the outsiders. He's talking to the people in the church, so to speak. He's talking to you. And he says, but hold on a minute. If you make a practice of sin, if your life is categorized by the sin, guess what that means? That means that you're not free. I just wonder, maybe if you're like one of those people in, in that bank in Sweden. You're in that bank, you're being held by sin, that you obey every command of sin. Every time you feel like saying a bad word, you say it. Every time you feel like having a bad attitude, you do it. Every time you think a bad thought, you continue thinking a bad thought. Every time you're tempted to disobey your parents, you do it. That right there is called slavery to sin, that you have desires that you are a slave to. That might be true of some of you. And if that's true, you're like a person sitting in a bank vault in Sweden thinking that you love your captor and you're fine there, right? I want you to see at this point, it's all about getting you to see I'm not fine there. If that's me, I, I need to get out. I need to escape. And that's why those last two words, without Jesus, are very important. Because if you don't have Jesus, and if you don't know Jesus, what the Bible says, and what Jesus says very clearly, is you are someone's slave. You are a slave to your own sinful 
desires. That's why when you really want to stop doing a certain sin, maybe something becomes inconvenient for you, right? Maybe having a bad attitude becomes inconvenient because your parents discipline you, right? And then you realize you cannot help but have a bad attitude. Or when you're thinking bad thoughts, maybe. Maybe some of you, it's sexual sin that's starting out and you're thinking, wow, why can I not shake this? It's like, why can I not shake this? Well, it's because the more you give yourself over to it, you become its slave. You don't even realize that you're not free anymore. You can't even make your own choices now because you're just a slave to your sinful passions. That's really scary, really scary. And that's what Jesus is telling these people. They're, they're trapped. There's a passage that talks to Christians, but it's helpful for us to think about when it, we're thinking about slavery to sin. It's Romans chapter six, verse 15, all the way to 18. I'll read it for you. Romans six, verses 15 to 18. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Okay, he's saying, hey, should Christians just keep on sinning because they've been forgiven of their sins? He says, absolutely not. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are the slaves of the one to whom you obey? So if right now, when this sermon's over and you go home, if the thing you are always obeying is your sinful, fleshly appetites, if that's the thing you always say yes to, and that's what obedience means, right? To say yes, and then you do it, right? If the thing you're obeying is your sinful appetites, your, your desire to be praised, your desire to be liked, your desire to be the funniest, your desire for sexual sin, your desire to say bad words, your desire to be cool, right? If, that's the, if those are the desires that are just dragging you every which way in your life, guess what that means? That means you are a slave. And that's what it says here. Whatever you obey, that's what you're a slave of. It says either of sin which leads to death, which by the way, that's, that's the key thing that some of us miss. Some of you might admit, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trapped. I know, like there's certain sins I just cannot stop doing and I'm trapped. You might admit that, but what might be harder for some of you to admit is those sins lead to death. They lead to death. You know, bad attitudes lead to death. Disobeying parents lead to death. Sexual sin leads to death. All of those, they, they, you are literally walking a plank to death. That's what it says here. You either present yourself as a slave of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Some of you are presenting yourselves every day to Jesus and saying, I'm going to obey you today. And you know what that leads to? It doesn't lead to that death. It leads to righteousness. It says, but thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, You've become obedient from the heart. That's so important. That's, that's where real change happens, okay? It happens in your heart. If all you try to do after this sermon is say, okay, he talked about being enslaved to sin. I know that. Ooh, I'm enslaved to this sin, this sin, this sin. Okay, I'm gonna really try really hard not to, okay? Here's the problem. You will not, you can't do it. You cannot stop sinning unless Jesus changes your heart, which that's why that doesn't happen until you get saved. It doesn't happen until you become a Christian, because you can't really change all that much about your behavior. I mean, you can try, but you can't really change your heart unless God does that to you. So it says, thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you're committed. And you've been set free from sin. And now you become slaves of righteousness. That's what you're serving. That's what you're presenting yourself as obedient to now. So I want you to think about this. He says here, obedience from the heart. You might say, well, I've noticed it's hard for me to obey and I cannot really obey from the heart. I have no heart motivation to do it. Well, then I'd like you to ask yourself, are you one of these people who's trapped? Because Jesus talked to a whole crowd full of people who were trapped in their sin. Not everybody. 
Some of them weren't, just like today. Right? I think some of you are. I would think some of you aren't. Some of you are trapped in your sin. Others of you aren't because you, you've turned to Jesus and he's changed your heart and he's continuing to change your heart. But if you are one of those people who is trapped and you know it, whether you've professed faith in Jesus or not, because ultimately what happens here, all these people that he's talking to professed faith in Jesus. That's crazy. When we look at this passage, we think, oh, this is just all these enemies. It's not enemies. These are the people who say they love Jesus. Just like in John chapter six, where these people, they said they were with Jesus and then what do they do? They walk away. Traps, obeying our sin. What does that look like? Well, sin, let's talk about sin for a minute. What sin does is it appeals to your appetites. Here's what that means. If I wanted you to come to game night and I asked you, hey, I want you to come to game night. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? And I'm like, not just like chocolate or vanilla. Give me your favorite place, your favorite ice cream flavor, and I will have it there for you if you come to game night. Guess what? Even if you weren't planning on coming to game night, you'd probably come because you thought, whoa, whoa, he picked out the exact one I wanted and he got it for me, exactly what I wanted. I'm coming to that event, right? Now, I, I hate to compare inviting you to game night uh, to temptation, right? But that's what it is, okay? Satan will tempt you by picking exactly what he knows you like. And if you are a person who loves to be praised by others and you want everyone to tell you how good looking you are or how smart you are or how funny you are, if that's what you want, guess what Satan's constantly gonna throw at you? Those temptations. He appeals to your appetites. Here's where we know that. Genesis 3, verse 6, Satan talked to Eve. Okay, this was a literal conversation, a conversation from two people back and forth. One of them was Satan himself. The other was Eve. He talked to say, or he, he talked to Eve, and what he said to Eve was basically, you know, you should do this sinful thing, and, and here's the thing. God is trying to keep you from having what you really want. You know, God knows what you really want, what you really need. You know what? He does not have your best interest at heart, and he started chipping away at her trust in God, and then he said, you know what? You, what you really want is this, this fruit, you know, because this fruit, not only does it taste better, but this fruit will open your eyes. You will see more about yourself, because God's trying to hold things back from you. I'm trying to help you out. Okay? And then what did he do? He appealed to her appetite and he gave her this fruit. Verse six, this is Genesis three, six. It says, so when the women saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, because I guess that's what she wanted. Right? It doesn't say that specifically, but it seems like that's what she wanted. She wanted to be wise. She wanted to be wiser than she was. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband and he took and ate. We see a parallel of that in the New Testament. When John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, that's a good one for you to write down. 1 John 2, 16, where John says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are not from the Father, but they're from the world. So here's what that means. Satan will want you to indulge in and choose to do the things that make your flesh feel good, okay? That make you feel good. Temptation to make you feel good. Then he'll tempt you on things that will look good to you. And that's not just thinking bad thoughts about other people. Sometimes that's coveting. Okay? That's the one we don't talk about so much that I think is harder for us. The other one's hard too, but um, the desires of the flesh are hard too, but also the desires of the eyes where we see things that people have and we want them. Okay? If you're a person who's constantly on social media looking at what other people have and wanting that in your heart, it says Satan's going to tempt you to be coveting, envious, jealous of them. Seeing stuff that other people have and wanting it. Seeing their popularity and wanting it. Seeing their skills and wanting it. 
seeing their relationships and wanting those, okay? That is the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, the things that make you look good, that prop you up. All of those temptations right there are from the world and says they're not from God. Those are fleshly desires. So I want you to think, am I trapped by that? Like my desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes and pride of life, are those the things that call the shots of everything I do? That that's the reason I have my bad attitudes because I don't have what I want because I'm trapped in a desire of the flesh. Maybe a, a desire of the eye, something that I really want and that's all I'm thinking about. I'm, I become covetous, become angry, bitter, maybe anxious because I don't have what I think I need. Pride of life. Romans 6 says, if you are a slave of sin, what those things are gonna do for you is they will rise up and they will kill you. They'll be the death of you. So if you're trapped like these people were, you need to see that. Because see what they do. That They say, we're sons of Abraham. We're not trapped by anything. And I might say to you, hey, are you trapped in your sin? And you might say, well, I've got Christian parents. I've got Christian parents. I can't be trapped in sin. Right? Maybe the non-Christians are. Maybe out in the world. But not me. I've got Christian parents. You know my sibling. They came through the narrow. Right? They're Christians. So you, I mean, you know me. You might be thinking that. Well, here's the thing. It's... All those things don't really matter. Sin will kill you if you remain in it. And that's what Jesus says. He says, it doesn't matter that you're Abraham's sons. You're not acting like Abraham. You know what he says? He says, you're not acting like Abraham. I'm acting like my father. He says, you know who you're acting like? He's talking to the Jews. He says, you're acting like your father. And they're like, well, wait a minute. God's our father. Look, look in the passage, verse, 20, uh, verse 39. After Jesus says, you are acting like your father, they say, well, Abraham is our father. Abraham's the guy we look to. He's our example. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. That's kind of what it means to be someone's child, right? A follower of them. They say, I, I follow Abraham. He's my example. And Jesus says, you know what? If Abraham really was your example, you would do what he did, but you don't. Verse 40 says, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. That's not what Abraham did. It's not what Abraham did. Think about even in Abraham's life. It's so interesting that Jesus points this out because I think he's thinking of a particular time. There's actually two times I can think of when a person came to Abraham speaking the word of the Lord, okay? A figure coming to Abraham. We think it was actually Jesus himself. It's very interesting that Jesus brings this up. It says the angel of the Lord came to Abraham a couple times. Remember the one times he said uh, that you're going to have a son and then Sarah overheard it and he laughed, right? The other time in Genesis 18 where you've got Sodom and Gomorrah happening and Abraham's talking to, to, to God, he's talking to the angel of the Lord, okay? So on two occasions, you have the angel of the Lord who probably, we're guessing, is Jesus. Jesus talked to Abraham and what did Abraham do? Say, you don't talk for God. There's no way. You're not for God. No, he took him at his word and he believed him. So he literally means Abraham did not do this. When I talked to Abraham, right, at this point, 2,000 years earlier, he didn't do this. You guys reject me. He didn't reject me. So he says, you don't act like Abraham. Stop claiming that. Verse 41, he says, you are doing the works your father did. Again, it's like, who's their father? Who's Jesus referring to? We're going to see that in a minute. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So now they're upping the ante. They said, first of all, Abraham was our father. Now they're saying, well, we weren't born of sexual immorality, which is like a hint, hint, poke at him, right? Because they think, well, who's your dad, right? Think about it. At that point, who, who's, who's Jesus's dad? <laughs> That's confusing. Think about it. Right? Really think about it. who's Jesus's dad, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's hard to answer. 
Because at the time, who do you think they thought um, Jesus' dad was? They did not think, see, that's the thing. Joseph was clear, this is not my kid. Who did they think it was? Any guy that Mary slept with, right? I don't know, somebody. Somebody, not Joseph, because it wasn't Joseph's kid. Doesn't look like Joseph. So they, you know what they're pointing out? You were probably born in sexual immorality, right? You don't even come from the right place. So you see how they're poking him a little bit? Like, we're not born in sexual immorality. Hint, hint, you might have been, actually. Um, so that's an insult, by the way. It's one you don't catch if you're not reading it carefully. But it says, um, we weren't born in sexual immorality. God is our father. So what does that mean? They're saying, then we act like God. What do you think Jesus is going to say to that? When they say, hey, fine. Abraham, you didn't like us following Abraham? Fine. God's our father then. Boom. Roasted. Period. Done. Right? Didn't work. Right? And what do you think Jesus is going to say? I don't think so. Verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. Does that make sense? If God was their father, they would love Jesus because Jesus comes from the father and they would know Jesus. But just for I came from God and I'm here. This is why I got here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Think about it. If they really love God, they would be waiting for God's Messiah. They'd be waiting for the Savior to come. And they'd be excited when he showed up. But instead, they're not. Verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? You know what? Jesus gives the answer. It's because you cannot bear my word. You can't, you can't even listen to me. He says, I keep talking. I keep saying things, but it's just hard for you to hear. You cannot bear with me. You won't keep listening to me. Verse 44 is where Jesus really throws the hammer down. This is where he gets a little spicy. This is where he gets spicy. Check it out. Verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil. That's who he's been referring to this whole time. Jesus is like, you know what? You actually act like your father. I'm like, well, our father's Abraham. And, and Jesus is like, no, you don't, act like, you don't act like him. And they're like, fine, our father's God. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't act like him. You act like your real dad, right? And then Jesus is like, you know who your real dad is? It's Satan. And they're like, Okay, that's insulting. Are you kidding? Our dad say our dad's not Satan. Right? Satan can't have kids, right? So you can think about it like that. That's kind of weird. But yeah, Satan can't have kids. But here's here's the whole point, right? Just like they said, we're sons of Abraham in that physically we come from him, and also spiritually we follow him, right? Then we say we're God's kids, even though God clearly didn't physically have a kid, right? And Jesus is not even God's physical kid. That's not how it works. He was existing eternally beforehand, anyway. He's saying spiritually, we're connected to Abraham. Okay, fine, that's not good enough. Spiritually, we're connected to God. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're connected to Satan, which is a bombshell that he drops here. Now, look what he says next. He says, and your will is to do your father's desires. You do what Satan wants to do. Whoa. What are some of Satan's desires? He says it right here. He was a murderer from the beginning. Think about what's the first thing that, that Satan ever did when he showed up? What's the first thing he ever did? He killed two people. He killed two people. Who did he kill? Killed Adam and Eve. He wanted them to die. That's what he showed up and he said, I want you guys to be dead just like I'm dead. I want you guys to be spiritually separated from God just like I am. And that's what he came and did. Then what did he do next? What's the first thing that we find out in Genesis chapter four? Who kills who? Cain kills Abel, right? Guess who that's inspired by? Satan. Satan's pushing that on them. He wants them to be murderers. So Satan's a murderer. He has been from the beginning. Also, the next thing Satan does, he doesn't stand in the truth. He hates hearing the truth. He hates the light shining on him because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. What's the first lie we ever find in the Bible? What's the first lie? We already kind of talked about it. Genesis chapter three. What, what did Satan say to Eve? Did God really say you can't eat? Did God really say? He didn't really say that, did he? 
That's how the whole sinful stuff started with, with Eve. He lied to her. He lied, and he's deceiving them. And that's the thing. Satan is deceiving today people all around the world, and he might be deceiving you. And this is like a hard thing for me to say, okay, if you're trapped, see that you're trapped. That's okay. If you're trapped, you might not even see it. Right? That's, what, that's why we're talking about this. And sometimes we can only see that by looking at our life. He says next, he says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character. He says, but because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Because guess who you follow? You follow Satan. Verse 46. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus stands up and says, okay, who's going to tell me I did anything wrong? The point is nobody can because he hasn't. He says, if I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is because you are not of God. Another bombshell that dropped. Because they said, well, we, we grew up like this. We grew up religious. We've prayed prayer since we were two years old. We've been in the, hearing the word of God our whole lives. Those things might sound like your life, huh? I grew up in church. I prayed prayers. My parents are good with God. Does that make me? No, it doesn't. Because you might still be a slave of sin. What Jesus is having them do is realize that they are Satan's kids. And I want you to think about that. Am I Satan's kid? By the way that I act, am I reflecting Satan? What are they doing? They want to murder Jesus. They hate Jesus. And they're lying. And they won't embrace truth. Okay? They, will, they run away from the truth when it's confronting their life about their sin. They will not embrace it. That's what Satan does. Okay? And also, when they hear the truth, what do they want to do? They literally want to murder Jesus. And that's what they're going to do later on in the passage. They're going to try to kill him. So their actions are proving their heart. Their actions are proving their heart, which proves who their dad is, who their spiritual father, who they're following. Same thing is true of you. Your actions reflect your heart, which reflects whether you're following God or following Satan. And you may never have thought about that before. Maybe you've never thought, wow, am I really Satan's kid? The truth is everyone is born Satan's kid in this world. Everyone except for Jesus. That's why in Romans chapter six, Paul says, you once were slaves of sin. I'll tell you, I was once a slave of sin. Right? Maybe you don't think about me that way, but I was a slave of sin. Your parents, maybe your parents are Christians. Guess what? They were born, they were slaves of sin too. Your leaders, guess what? They were born, they were born slaves of sin too. Every last one of them was a slave of sin and so was I. And so was Paul. So was Peter. Any person you look up to, they were all born slaves of sin. And what had to happen? God had to save them. Point number two, I'd like you to write this down. Judge yourself to see if you live like Satan. Judge yourself to see if you live like Satan. So important to judge yourself to see whether you live like Satan because that's ultimately what Jesus is getting at, right? You can't like look at your passport or look at your... Uh, you know, date of birth and say, oh, well, my dad's Satan. Good. Okay, that figured it out. Now I need a new dad, right? <laughs> That's not how this works. It's only reflected in your behavior, which comes from your heart, which reflects who you follow. If you take it all the way back to that. It might sound harsh to say people follow Satan because they might not think of Satan, okay? Here's the problem. When we think of Satan followers, what do we think of? Like gross, you know, blacked out clothes, like drinking blood, like weird, gross Halloween stuff, right? You think maybe that's what you think. Maybe you don't know what Satanists do, and that's probably better off for you. Um, but that might be what you think of for Satan worshipers, okay? Satan does not want you to worship him, by the way. So everyone who says they worship Satan, they're not doing what Satan wants them to do. Satan does not want them to worship him. What Satan wants is them to do whatever they want to do. 
to follow their desires. So think about it like this. Everyone who follows their own desires, whether it's for popularity, to be liked, to be thought of as pretty, to be thought of as funny, to find satisfaction in the world. Anybody who that's their main goal, guess who they're really following and they don't even know it. Satan. Ephesians chapter two says this, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's talking to Christians who used to be dead. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Right, you're just doing what everybody else did. Following the prince of the power of the air, which is the spirit that is now at work on the sons of disobedience. He says, look, the reason people are disobeying God right now and the person they're following, they're following Satan even today. And that's true today. And that might be some of you. You might be following Satan with your life without even realizing it. How, how, but how can we tell, right? That's why I said, judge yourself. How, how can we tell, right? You judge your heart and you judge your actions. Let's start with the actions. Does your life reflect a child of Satan just like their life did? They wanted to murder because they didn't get what they want. They wanted to murder. They didn't want the truth revealed about their life. So they lied about it. They covered up their sin. When people asked them about sin in their life, they said, no, everything's fine. No, it's good. I, I don't do that that much. They cover up and they lied. Jesus points the finger and they, they, they don't like it. Satan's a liar. He's a murderer. He's also prideful, famously prideful. Right? Thinks so highly of himself. So that I want to be like God. I should be like God. I should have all the benefits God has. That's pride. Right? Maybe you're prideful. And maybe that's exhibited in your actions and it stems from your heart and it comes because you follow Whatever you want to do. And that's what the, the, the slaves to sin do. I want you to write down a passage. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. 1 John 3, 4 to 10. I'm going to read something from it real fast. I'm only going to pick a couple verses here. But this is such an important passage because it reflects what Jesus is saying here. That your actions reflect who you follow. Your actions do. 1 John 3. Verse four says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, same idea that Jesus said, also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus appeared in order to, in order to take away sin because in him, there was no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. You might say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Does that mean if you become a Christian, you stop sinning altogether? That's not what he's saying. Remember, making a practice of sin. If you follow Jesus, your life will not be categorized by sin the same way it was before. And if it is, and if your sin is getting worse and worse and worse and worse, well, then you should look here and say, well, maybe I'm not free. Maybe I am that slave that I thought I wasn't. It says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. I'd say the same thing to you. Don't be deceived about that. Please don't be deceived by that. People go to hell because they're deceived by that because they think they're fine with God and they're not. Do not be deceived. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as God is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, which means no one born of God makes a practice of sinning because God's seed abides in him. So that he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever practices righteousness is, whoever, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 
okay? If you cannot love the people in your life, maybe start with your brother or your sister just thinking about it, right? If you cannot love the people in your life and your life is characterized by sin, God's word is very clear tonight. Who's your spiritual father? It's not God, right? And sad thing is you don't have like a bunch of choices. It's just like a two choices here on this test, right? Who's your spiritual father? But the problem is for many of you, it's like, I don't know who it is. And that's why I want, to, you, I want you to judge yourself and think about it. Jesus gives them an opportunity to know God. And I want you to think about that. Jesus gives us an opportunity to know God. He gives you an opportunity, although you might be a child of the devil, you might be following his ways because you're just doing whatever you want to do. He is so kind to give you a way out. Guess who he does not give a way out? Satan. You ever thought about that? He does not give Satan a salvation plan. What about all the angels that fell with Satan? Do they get a second chance? Nope. But you do. How foolish would it be for you to waste that opportunity and be punished just like they're punished? It would just be such a missed opportunity, wouldn't it? If Jesus came to die for you and you said, no, I don't want to be a part of, I mean, it sounds too hard. Like I, I don't want to follow him. That means I might not be as cool as I want to be. It means I can't do all the sins that I want to do when I'm older. Wouldn't that be really dumb? I mean, just, I, know, I know people do it, and maybe that's what you're thinking, and I don't mean to insult you, but if you really stand back and look at it, it's just not, it's not wise. Jesus gives us an opportunity to know God and to love God, just like Jesus does. And God will adopt you into his family, but guess what he says? He says, you have to believe in me. That's where this all started. If you go back, check out the, the, the chapter again, back in John chapter 8. It says, if the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's verse 36. If the son, if Jesus sets you free from your sin, guess what you're going to be? You will be free. No questions asked. If Jesus saves you, can anyone unsave you? No, because Jesus did it. He's the son. He's the firstborn son. He's the ultimate, right? There, there are many sons of God and the idea that, that when you're adopted into God, there's a lot of Christians, but there's only one unique Jesus. If he sets you free, you will be free indeed forever. That's like what he says in John chapter six. If he draws you to himself and you turn from your sin and you trust in him, guess what? He'll, he will raise up every last one of you who trusts in him on the last day. He won't lose a single one. He won't lose any. John chapter 10 makes it even clear. It's like you're in the palm of his hand. Everybody who's with Jesus, it's like he holds you and he will not let you go. But everyone who wants to rely on themselves or say, well, my parents are Christians or trust anything other than Jesus's blood you trust anything other than Jesus, guess what? You're not in his hand. You're not his. He's not your, your, your spiritual father. The father's not. Look at verse 48. After Jesus said in verse 47, you don't hear God's words, and that's why you don't, because you're not of God. Verse 48, Jesus answered them, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? It's like, Whoa, hold on. This is the point in the conversation where uh, we're not being logical anymore. We're just throwing insults at each other, right? Because first of all, obviously, Jesus is not a Samaritan. They know that. Also, Jesus does not have a demon, clearly, and they know that too. So they're just like lobbing insults at him. You know, you ever been in an argument with somebody and, and you're losing the argument? And like, well, you're stupid anyway. Like, <laughs> or like your little siblings have done that, right? It's like, well, well I don't, <laughs> well, you're just a jerk. <laughs> you know that? Like that's what they're doing to Jesus because Jesus is winning this argument because Jesus is saying, you're not listening to me because you don't know God. And they said, well, you're a Samaritan and have a demon. Whoa, Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but 
I honor my father and you dishonor me. <laughs> Whoa, this is getting more intense, right? Then, then Jesus says in verse uh, 50, yet I don't seek my own glory, although maybe I could. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, which is reminding you back to verse 31, if you abide in his words, anyone who keeps my words will never see death. What? You're not going to die. If you just listen to Jesus, you're not going to die. What are you talking? Everybody dies. What are you talking about, Jesus? That's, that's the response. It says, first of all, by the way, Jesus says, I'm not even trying to glorify myself. I could do that later. But you know who wants to glorify me? The God you say you worship. That's really insulting. It's like saying, um, you ever had a best friend and then someone tries to like kind of take that best friend away from you? You ever had that, this experience? Maybe you've seen it in a movie or something, right? I remember in high school, <laughs> there, was a, there was a guy I was becoming better friends with and there was another guy who was his friend and he said, he said John, my friendship with this guy is like an ice cube. And I feel like you're holding the ice cube in your hand and you're melting my friendship. And I was like, whoa, I'm sorry, bro. Like, I didn't mean that. And then um, there was one day, like, we were parking outside of uh, the 120 West and um, his car and both of our friend's car was on this side and I parked in between and he took a picture and sent to me. And said, like, it's like an ice cube. And I was like, okay, dude, like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I didn't mean to. Um, but you know how it's like, what if, what if instead of, like, being, I try to be nice. I was like, whatever. It's kind of, yeah, kind of creepy. So, um, so I didn't give any names. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, what if I said, you know what? He likes me better than you. He, oh, right. So where the, the, what's the, the sound effect? That go, like the horn, like, do, 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 do. You know what I'm talking about? Um, the, air horn. the air horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where you go. Doo, 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 doo. Uh, after that, and so what if I said, you know what? He likes me better. He likes me better. I'm his best friend. You don't even know anything about him. You think, <laughs> this is getting crazy. You think that your friendship is the ice cube. You're not even an ice cube. You're just a drop of water. Right? <laughs> then it's like, okay, we're going to throw down. The gloves are coming off, like fighting over a friend, right? So, what Jesus is doing here is he's showing like, okay, you guys think that you're tight with, with, with God. You're not tight with God. Okay. You think you know about God. You don't know anything about God. And Jesus is like coming in between. But here's the problem, right? If I, if I did that to my friend, that'd be rude and mean because it would be not true. Right. But the reality is it's like someone coming into your family and talking about your dad and your mom and pretending to be in the family and saying, I, they love me more. It'd be like, dude, you're not, get out of here, man. You're not a part of my family. Right. Jesus has the real relationship with the Father. They don't. They act like they do. They like to think that they have a relationship with God, but they don't. So Jesus is just telling them the truth. Look, guys, you don't understand. Like, that's my dad. It's not yours. You belong to a different, that, that's your dad. Like, I can show you a picture if you want to. Like, you're not in our family. So stop saying you're in our family. <laughs> like, don't do that. It's weird. That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus is just telling the truth. He's not trying to be mean. But anyway, where was I? Um, verse 50. He says, I don't seek my own glory. God does though. Verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will not see death. The biggest claim he's made so far. Verse 52. They say, now we know you have a demon. Now we know you're crazy. Because Abraham died. Think about it. That's the guy we were talking about earlier. 
Abraham died and the prophets did too. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? Are you, are you better than Abraham? That's kind of a trap. It's like saying, like, uh, you're talking in basketball or something. Are you, are, you better than, are you better than Michael Jordan? It's always like, oh, well, no, I'm not better than Michael. Oh, well, don't compare me to him. That's what this comparison is. So you'd think Jesus would say, no, sorry, you misinterpreted. Sorry, I'm not better than Abraham. What do you think Jesus says? He says, oh, yeah, I am. Verse, uh, what, middle of 52. Abraham died, as did the prophets. How can he say, if anyone keeps my words, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who are you making yourself out to be? How do you think Jesus is going to respond? He's going to go, oh, yeah, you're right. My bad. No, verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, if I'm just propping up myself, I'm just bragging, and it's not true, then guess what? If I'm just boasting about myself, my glory, it's nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. It's like they're claiming that he's their dad, and Jesus is like, no, 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 you got it all backwards. Like, he's my dad, and you, you're acting like he's your dad. He's not your dad, so stop claiming that. Verse 55 says, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I don't know him, if I claimed I don't know him, guess what that would make me? That would make me a liar like you. It's, see Jesus is like really throwing the hammer down. Like he's not pulling any punches back. He's all in with this. He says, I'd be a liar like you, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Now he's like stepping on their Abraham toes, right? It's like they've been throwing things like little Uno cards out right now. He's just taking them all away. It's like, I'll take your Abraham card too, right? Abraham would have loved to talk to me. Abraham would have loved to see this happen right now, is what he's claiming. He says, and you know what? He saw it. He saw it and he was glad. What is he saying there? The book of Hebrews says how Abraham looked forward in faith to see a Messiah, to see the deliverer of Israel. He didn't see it with his eyes, but he, he thought about it. He saw it from a distance. So I think what he's saying here is Abraham saw it by faith. He trusted in me. And you know what? That made him really happy. It was glad. It's not even a good word for it. The word is extremely, very, over-the-top happy when Abraham saw me. So the Jews said, you're not even 50 years old. How have you seen Abraham? Right? Abraham lived like 200 years. Jesus is not even 50, which I guess is like, I don't know. Saying, I, you're not even that old. Don't tell your parents that 50 is old, but it's kind of what they're saying. Uh, it says, you're not even 50 years old. And you've seen Abraham? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Circle those two letters. I, oh, two words. I am. Those are huge. Remember how last week I said that when Jesus said, I am he, what he was referring to was God's name? Okay. What he's saying here is before Abraham ever was born, guess who was around? Me. Oh, and by the way, guess who I am? I'm God. I'm the God your, your ancestors worshipped. Whoa. I'm the God that Abraham worshipped. Abraham would have loved to see me. This is over the top. And this is a passage that would show you, and this is why your friends maybe at school who think Jesus was a good teacher but not God, this is what would make him crazy. Okay, If he's not telling the truth, he's nuts. Do you see that? He's claiming to be the God that their ancestors worshipped. And if that's not true then he's lying, just like they're saying he is. But it is true. For Abraham was, I am. So what did the Jews do? They say, oh, 
Jesus, thank you for that sermon. I mean, we believed in you at the beginning in verse 31. <sighs> Thanks for clearing that up. I really appreciate it. Um, can I come back next week? You got another? No, that's not what he does. Look at verse 59. So they picked up rocks to chuck at his head. Whoa. They picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and he went out of the temple. Okay? This shows that they did not want to embrace Jesus. Whether they said they loved God or not, they did not. You see how even throughout the Old Testament, right? Exodus chapter 3, God announced his name. He said, I am. He says, when, when Moses asked him, hey, what should the people call you? God says, say, I am sent you. He says, I am that I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am sent you. Then the next verse in Exodus chapter 3. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And this is my name forever that I am to be remembered throughout all generations. All generations. Their generation or just, no, all generations. So Jesus' generation? Yeah. So guess what they refer to God as? The I am. So, and when Jesus says, before Abraham was I am, guess what? He's claiming to be God here. You got to remember, what's the context of all this? It all comes in the setting of Jesus saying, I can save you, but you're a slave to sin. And you have to admit that. If you don't admit that you're a slave of sin, you can never be free. But guess what? I have the power to free you of your sin. I have the power to deliver you. Just like I am back in Genesis, or just like I am in Exodus 3, was able to deliver the people of Israel out of their bondage in Egypt, which is what the celebration here is commemorating, by the way. Just like the I am was able to take these people out of slavery in Egypt. Guess what? Jesus says, I can get you out of your slavery to sin. And that wasn't just then, that's also now. Jesus is saying to you, he is able to get you out of your slavery to sin tonight if you trust him. Point number three, rely on Jesus, the I am, to set you free. Rely on Jesus, the I am, that's a title. That's God's name. Rely on Jesus, the I am, to set you free. He's the only one who can do it. That's it. That's why Jesus says earlier, hey, the son can set you free. Slaves can't set each other free just by saying, pretending to be sons. That, that doesn't work, right? They've been in the house of God, enjoying the blessings of God, just like some slaves do, but they can be kicked out. But guess what? who can never be kicked out? The son and whoever the son adopts as a son. One passage I want you to write down here, Titus chapter three, verses three to seven. Titus three, it says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. He's talking as a Christian here. He says, at one point, I was a slave to sin. I was a slave to my passions, my pleasures, all of that. We passed our days in malice. We were angry with one another. We were always not getting along. Envy, we wanted the stuff other people had. We were hated by others and we hated one another. That's what we did when we weren't Christians. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior has appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What that means is Jesus can adopt you into his family. Jesus, who's, who's not the father, Jesus, the son, the firstborn, can adopt you so you become a fellow heir. Guess what happens 
when Jesus gets the kingdom of God one day. Guess what happens? Who gets it with him? All the other heirs. It's like Jesus, the firstborn, is the only one that deserves it. And Jesus can include each and every one of you who trust in him into that. So that the promise the father made to the son now, guess who it also applies to? Also applies to us. Everyone who trusts in him. He will not have any slaves of sin, though. He won't. Because they don't follow him. The freedom that Jesus offered might sound too good to be true. But the thing you have to realize is you cannot expect any freedom from your slavery to sin. Which as we talked about that tonight, I hope that some of you are, are realizing, wow, I didn't even think about it. I, that's why I always choose to do that wrong thing. It's because I'm a slave to it. Jesus says, I can set you free from that and I'm the only one who can. The I am. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. That's me and I can set you free from that sin. That's what Jesus says. You have to rely on him because if you rely on your parents, just like they did, it doesn't work. If you rely on your good works, it doesn't cut it. I know we say this all the time, but I hope that tonight some of you take it to heart and you really think about it and you really realize, yeah, that's, that's been me for years. That's why I don't grow. That's why there's no change. It's because I'm just a slave to sin. But others of you, Jesus has set free and you know what it is. Even if maybe you're not walking as perfectly as maybe you once did, some of you do know what it's like to be set free and to have the choice now to obey. Because before you didn't have the choice. You're just a slave to your passions. Now you have the choice. You can be set free. You have been set free. Use your freedom to follow Jesus. That's what he says here. Use your freedom to serve him. But you got to rely on him first. So let's pray. So important for us to understand this and get guidance from God. So let's talk to God right now. God, you're so good to send Jesus to share the truth with us. We know last week it said he was the light of the world. This week he said that he can set us free and the truth will set us free. It's not truth about science or technology or math or anything like that. It's truth about our problem with you and our slavery to sin and your salvation that you bring to us. I just ask you, please, please reveal that in people's hearts today. I know that so many of them are enslaved to their passions and their lusts and their bad attitudes and their bad words. I know that. I sat in their same chair. I was just as enslaved too. Just pray that you would point them to yourself and have them come to you tonight and plead with you for salvation and to be freed from that. We know you offer it. It's the only freedom that matters. Going into high school doesn't give us the freedom that you give. Getting a car doesn't give the freedom that you give. Being an adult, moving out, that does not give the freedom that you give. Only trusting in you does. I pray that they would see that and that you would change their hearts and make them slaves of you. Pray that you would change them and that would be something that we can celebrate later on. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.